0: progressive ideas, conversations from schools and the newest concepts in education. This is the school leadership podcast. EdTech. There's frequently a feeling that the debate around it should be reclaimed by those in education that it's somehow become overrun by the view from technologists. A relatively new briefing paper from BESA, the British Educational Suppliers in Association with NACE the National Association of Advisors for Computers in Education, called the EdTech Leadership Briefing Paper, will really help senior leaders to make decisions about ICT investment that are informed and data-driven. The NHT's James Bowen has three guests with him. We'll be giving you some vital commentary on that report, its conclusions, and how it'll bring further understanding to where we are now and where the future in edtech lies and of course it goes without saying the discussion will also look at those two unavoidable letters a i it's a conversation that will really help school leaders in making those edtech related decisions so let's meet james guests engaging content and revealing insights in conversation with james bowen
1: hi i'm dave smith i'm the head of partnerships and events The British Educational Suppliers Association, commonly known to people as BESA. Hi, I'm Gavin Hawkins. I'm I'm currently the chair of the NACE
2: board. NACE is the Education Technology Association of the UK. I'm David Winey. I'm a NAHT Life member, former primary
3: head teacher, uh, head of the uh, EdTech team for Wolverhampton City Council, and for the last of 10 years i've been ceo of my own uh, strategic edt advisory company
4: and of course straight away david you get huge credit for for saying you're an ht member straight away that that gets you in our good books so (laughs) okay so uh, obviously you've produced this report which is a really interesting read and just wanted to ask you a bit about that and then some of the wider issues in terms of edtech within education so i suppose that the opening question for me is You know, there's been quite a few EdTech reports over the last sort of decade or so that I can remember in my time. So what was the sort of the motivation for writing this report and how is it different from some of those sort of previous reports we've seen before, would you say? Well, thanks for that question, James. And uh,
1: actually, there have been quite a few reports, as we know, over the last few years in terms of EdTech. But uh, we wanted to be able to provide a, a benchmark for school leaders at this current point in time, to look at their own provision um, across schools in a number of aspects um, and to join together the forces of both BISA and NACE in this area, drawing upon BISA's um, range of um, ICT and schools research um, reports that have come over the last 18 years. um, That reaches out to 2,000 schools across the UK and it provides a good context for a, a range of schools. And through NACE... That's where we uh, we got to that point. Um, so we wanted to be able to um, t- to do that, um, because where is there at the moment the um you know if school, school leaders are thinking about, um, especially you know if, from a perspective of uh, what what do we need to have in place, what's in, in place elsewhere, where are we going to find that out? And as we know, school leadership can be quite a a lonely place, um, especially if you're you know a, a standalone school uh, or a small map um you know or um whatever you whatever you are so where do you go to find that advice um what type of things should you be asking how do you benchmark your provision and that's when we get where we got to this point so by falling forces we feel that we've been able to to achieve that and we hope that's really beneficial to um school leaders across the country
4: i'm interested to know uh from you where where do you think we are in terms of sort of the state of the nation Mm -hmm. with technology in schools? I mean, again, for for many years we've been, uh, you often hear people say, we're only beginning to scratch the surface in terms of the use of the technology. Are we still only scratching the surface? Yeah. Are we anywhere close to kind of really harnessing the true power of technology for learning? Think, well, where are we? It's a complex
2: picture, isn't it? And it's a complex picture because of the very nature of, of the subject and the technology. So it's one of those areas where where new and emerging technologies impact on Schools in ways that they might not fully understand and fully have the time to appreciate. So, in many schools, they're they're technology rich. Um, so there's there's lots of lots of kit. Mm-hmm. Whether that kit and that equipment and that infrastructure is having the level of impact that school leaders would expect, I guess is is the more pressing question. So, so if schools are spending a significant amount on technology and very often it is, you know, within that third or fourth highest budget line in a school, is it having comparable impact on outcomes? And I guess that's the question really that school leaders should ask. And we should also ask as a, as a, as a state of the nation by question, is it having an impact on standards where across the, across the curriculum, not just in within that quite narrow field of of computer science. And what concerns us, I think, is whether or not we are appropriately equipping young people for life beyond school. And those are those are the real challenges. And and aligned with that is um paucity really of of independent advice to schools and really high quality professional development for teachers because we can keep throwing equipment into schools and we can keep providing it and that's been happening for a long time but are we really seeing the impact and is the reason we're not seeing the impact because decisions are being made that school leaders aren't fully cognizant of um because they're receiving advice from perhaps their technical support or their head of computer science perhaps um and actually not being able then to invest time and, and effort in teachers in order to 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 raise their own professional skill level in order to then have an impact on young people so so i guess uh it is complex and I don't think we're ever going to see. To, to pick up your point about scratching the surface, I think we are, we are still scratching the surface. And I think we will continue to keep scratching the surface because as soon as you feel as if you're sort of making some headway, then new and emerging things appear. And that's the very nature of the subject, isn't it? You know, AI, which, you know, we may, may come on too late, you know, the, these sorts of things come at us. Um, and we've got a duty to ensure that our teachers are professionally equipped in order to deal with that. As a former primary head teacher of a large primary
3: school, this is the sort of thing that interests me. When I took up my post, the key thing that I was asked as a head teacher is, what's your philosophy of education? What do you believe in? The governors wanted to know how I was going to shape the school with my vision. And you have to rely on what you, what you, as an educationalist, feel. And I think that one of the reasons for producing this report and pairing up with BISA and NACE and NAHT is to try and claim back that debate about the role of technology by head teachers and by educationalists. I think for far too long in recent years, we, we've had a debate that's been led by technologists. And the debate should be held and, and, and led by by educationalists because the technology keeps shifting and it takes time for the education system and for the schools to respond to that shift. And almost they seem to have uh, where schools have got their heads around how one piece of technology fits into the pedagogy and the way schools can work efficiently. Like the rugs pull from under them because a new piece of technology comes out. So... With my long years of experience in education, it's the one thing that actually is the most disruptive. And that's the challenge, because schools are quite traditional in the way which they view things. And the way tech is invasive in our daily lives is now not a debate to be had. It's there. And the question to school leaders is, What do you, what's your vision for dealing with this? And This report is meant to try and, I don't know, gather the forces of, 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 of good around this to try and help school leaders with those big, crunchy decisions. Because if we don't do that, this debate is going to be taken over by the big tech companies, by the, by the technicians of this world that want to talk about all sorts of specifications for things. And actually it's about the rights of children and their families to have access to technology. That's what it's about. And that's the that's the worrying thing in some of these statistics that we'll come on to later.
4: Is it that age old thing as well, David, about, you know, that thing about it's we should use the technology to help with the learning. Let's not let's not start with the technology and think about what can we do with this? It's about start with the learning, start about the vision for education and how do I harness the technology. Well, yeah, is it still that the importance of so I sense the, the, the using the technology to help rather than the technology driving things, or or is or is that perhaps an old-fashioned view? I don't know.
3: I, I I think I think in my my view, reflecting back, I I, I honestly believe that you do need to have a, a, a fairly deep understanding of what the technology can do and how it, how it works before you can really then think about how you implement it in in, in teaching and learning. I mean, you know, uh, it it would be ironic, wouldn't it, if we had to educate uh, uh, teachers and school leaders in how books worked and how pens and uh, paper worked. You know, back in the days of when we introduced whiteboards, actually, it seemed hard at the time, but it was quite complicated. You know, it, 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 it was quite hard for us to do at the time, but it was quite an easy technology now with the way that, that the software and the hardware is, is 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 really linked together and you can produce data out of that, which for the first time, hooray, school leaders can get access to the to the usage statistics of what of, and interpret that for the impact. I think it's time to have a real fresh look at this. And yeah, back back when I started my career out as a deputy when I first joined NIHT Actually, NIHT organised um, conferences for school leaders around how best to use that emerging technology. Now, I feel it's time for school leaders to get some more input, not on what's the latest whizzy thing, but what does this mean for well-being? What does it mean for it What does it mean for access to computers by young people should they be having access to this how much access what's healthy you know these are bigger educational debates i i I wouldn't argue putting on a course about the latest you know uh laptop or 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 tablet you know that that's the sort of thing that the industry is going to offer well what we need to do is to pull that back to to, to what we think is benefit for our school community. And that, that's that that means having an understanding of what the tech can do though, James, to come back to your question.
4: I suppose that speaks, doesn't it, the fact that we live and I know people have said would have said this ten and twenty years ago, but we live in such a technological world now. Um and, and I'm conscious in saying that that there is a huge discrepancy in access to devices and that, you know, not all children have a that being said, we live in a world full of technology where lots of children, not all of them, but lots of children, lots of families had many, many, many devices and more than they ever would have done 20 years ago. So I suppose we, you know, we're talking about a very different world now where just technology is it's absolutely everywhere. So I suppose those those philosophical and those deep questions about technology in that sense become more important than they ever have done as well. Do you agree with that? It is. I mean, we've got, you know, children
1: and we people have got all those devices where they're you know, advantage to have them. Outside of outside of school, and then the previous trial I had working for a alumni London local authority, and tech. One of the things that we were looking at encouraging schools to to consider that, and and, and a number of them did. So as, as Dave was saying, actually considering that vision doesn't only happen about what, what you've got going on in the in in your school. Pandemic helped us quite a bit with that, didn't it? In terms of um, moving that on and thinking about what what was available outside, but we want. We want those children to be um, not just consumers, we want them to be creators. And I think that's echoing what my colleagues are saying here. It's the importance of ensuring that the teachers are understanding and that the school leaders have got the the right vision in place and the training and the other aspects that come with it. Now, from a visa perspective, we've got lots of um, education technology um, suppliers who are doing a lot of work to positively support the sector, which is really, very important, and they're really keen to get it right. And Part what we did with this report was actually helping not only the schools but also our our members to 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 assist them in in getting it right and asking the right questions as well. But the point of this is, you know, if if schools are going to have to be making the choices matched to what you know their needs are, where do they go to find out what those you know are available out there? So where do you start from? You start with your vision, you get your questions, you do your manager piece, don't you? What we would have done years ago was leadership of ICT, that type of stuff, okay? And, and we would all be working with that in, in this sector. Your vision, getting your vision in place, you're actually thinking about what you needed and you go out and get it. And in fact, this is why this is so important because if the school leaders are understanding what type of technologies are out there, what they've already got in place and how they can make the most effective use of it, that will impact positively on the children's use of it. So we don't want our teachers and our children just to be consumers of technology, watching things. And you know, there's loads of great stuff. We know that we want them current in it, because those are going to be the people that are coming out in the world of the future. And these are the skills that are needed. So we can do that, um, you know, within the within the school sector, and it's a big point for school leaders to come together um, on that and, and assist with that. Really, I think
3: I think that uh, James, the, the one thing that. Um this report tries to do and 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 it and this report can be improved we know that this was relying on the data from the past um from the past survey last year and also the comparative data long term it was to try and give an impartial view and the one thing when we presented at bet that sort of shocked everybody in the packed audience was when we asked the question what uh, how What percentage of pupils at primary have good access to devices and the internet? And bearing in mind, we're in 2023. So you would have thought, I think all, all the audience thought it was going to be around about, you know, for, for internet access in particular, it was going to be 100%. It's actually 63% for primary and 72% for uh, secondary. Device access for primary, 46%. For secondary, 40%. And the worrying trend is it's going down, not up. We're not having a value judgment on this, but statistically significant data set that's indicating a, a, a change. So whereby the audience at Bet, and probably your listeners, would be thinking that that should be very high, given what you said about the, the, the ubiquitous nature to nature of technology out in the society it's actually getting lower in schools according to this data now somebody needs asking some questions around that and it might be tied with the the priorities that we saw in the report when school leaders were asked about their priorities one of those was trying to find the funds to actually replace the kit and get that equipment in place but really that low level of it of access i mean it reminds me of an anecdote about six or seven years ago i went into a school with my laptop to do a review and one of the primary kids said mr well is that your laptop and i said yeah and she said you mean it's yours you can use it whenever you want and i said yes she said well i have to wait till thursday afternoons and you know unless we shift that surely we we need to consider what level of use is right, and I'm not going to dictate that, and the industry shouldn't dictate it. But together, as a partnership, we should be coming up with some some some, some almost non-negotiables. I feel those stats really are qu- quite alarming.
4: So, kind of come back to the report for a bit. I think mean, there's a, there's so many interesting parts to the report. One of the things I'm interested to find out about is what what have you learned about how schools are investing in, in technology at the moment. What, where, where is the focus based on what, what you've found out? And I suppose, crucially, are we focusing in the right place, do you think, or are, are, we, are we missing a trick here? Within the report, we created a, a variation on Maslow's hierarchy. We adapted that
2: so that it became a, an ed tech hierarchy of need, I guess. And sitting on that bottom row, and the bottom, you know, and everything is built on top of it is that need to have infrastructure, devices, and connectivity. Because without that, nothing, nothing else can be built on it. But we're suggesting that that's the absolute minimum that schools need to consider investing in. I think the issue that we've got is that's absolutely fine, and it's essential that that happens, but schools are probably considering far too high a weighting on that, so it's about waiting. That need for technical infrastructure, devices, connectivity, Wi-Fi, but without really considering the teaching and learning and the pedagogy and the professional development and the long-term strategy, because we've still got schools who are who are investing heavily in on premise service, for example, or infrastructure that really probably we ought to be moving towards cloud-based. Not only because, you know, we don't need to have those big boxes sitting in schools anymore because A, they're costly, and B, they're, they're a potential security risk. You know, if we can move to cloud-based things, then, then that should hopefully free up a significant amounts of expenditure that can be, can be allocated elsewhere. There is this issue around senior leaders in schools, and, and as a former one, you know what you know, and you know what your technical support might be telling you, and actually, what what might happen if you were not careful, going back to the vision point that Dave Wani mentioned earlier, if you don't stick to that vision for your school, then you will never move beyond the constant refresh of equipment. You will not look at the way in which the curriculum and pedagogy needs to change. And I'm talking curriculum in the broadest sense here. So, so not necessarily the national curriculum. Yeah, absolutely, that has to be delivered. That's the statutory entitlement. But much wider than that, are we preparing our young people for life beyond school? Are we undertaking the things that Dave Smith said earlier about real life opportunities, the ability to collaborate online, to communicate with others, and to do real life problem solving? Because those are the things that young people are going to need to do once they move beyond the education system. And actually, I think that the focus for schools needs to be around shifting towards some of those sorts of opportunities now, rather than getting hung up on making sure that the right kit is available. Dave, one is absolutely right. This idea of timetabling knowledge, which we sort of do because we say IT or computer or whatever computer science is on a Thursday afternoon. That's not the way the world works, is it? But if we are shifting to something that is much more ubiquitous and equitable in that way, that's a significant professional development issue for schools. Um, and yeah. one, you know, ed teacher really need to think. About. James, I, I think, I think Gavin's hit the nail on the head here. I mean, a, a
3: lot of the times when I go into do some consultancy in schools, so school leaders are stuck in what are called the, the fourth railway bridge. Mentality. They've they've just finished painting one end of the bridge, and they have to go back to the other to try and try and repaint it again. You know, it's that, it's that analogy with the technology. Or we just we've just replaced all of our uh, interactive whiteboards, and now we now you're on to something else. What we're trying to do with this report with the key leadership questions is trying to move the debate beyond to give those school leaders that that breathing space to to look above. You know the painting of the bridge and realize actually somebody's somebody's invented a way of bypassing the bridge and going straight on to where your destination is you know so you don't have to go back and keep paintings and and unfortunately it's who do you rely on the key question we ask at the beginning of the report is who can you rely on to help you as a school leader now if you're fortunate enough in england to be in one of those areas that's well supported, that's that, that's fine. But well, you may not. But we just felt that we needed to support those school leaders in in making the decisions that Gabby's just talked talked about. Really, um, is this the finished article? Is it is it complete? No, and and we'd love to engage with with NAHT leaders to to find out how what questions, Now, are the questions that are missing that we need to ask um, and. You know, it is a complex. It's very complicated the way this works, and 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 Gavin's right. And back when we were doing the national strategic leadership work, there were key things we would have, we talked about then, which were which were relevant then. But now the technology so different. But when we go into schools, our experience of the three of us is some of those schools haven't moved on from those times. And yet all the technology and the capabilities are. You know, we're, during the pandemic, I was having debates with some of the demonstrator schools that we were supporting. We supported over 220 odd schools. And the, their technical support team was still advising them on technology that was 10, 15 years out of date. And they were wondering why they couldn't work during the pandemic when they couldn't physically get all the laptops in to, re- to reset them, or they couldn't. And, they, and that's not needed anymore. So you your poor school leaders sitting there, dealing with all of those things, bombarding them. And then this is another area of expertise. So I think this report is a plea to all of us to, to marshal our forces together to try and give those school leaders some robust research that gives that independent advice, so that they can start to look at the difference in technology and the new tech that's coming with a with an educational eye to it, rather than just that that technology eye. You know, the the computing curriculum has sort of almost hijacked the agenda here. We we need to be absolutely clear this. Report is not talking about computer programming or anything any of that it's talking about how tech is used for the benefit of the whole school community school leaders parents uh, teachers and of course students it's about it's a, it's opening up the debates about what makes good use of technology for education in the year 2023 20, and
4: beyond really one of the things I noticed in the report, I was quite interested, you, you pick up on this kind of slight differences between primary and secondary. You had sort of different findings, primary and secondary. I wonder if one of you could perhaps just sort of briefly just tell us about the kind of the, one of the highlights, the key differences you found there. Yes, I think, I think I've think already alluded to the fact that the, the device access was was quite,
3: quite different between primary and secondary. I mean, secondary is, is much higher. And also the time spent exposed to IT. This was a big area where a primary was, it was about 37% whereas at a secondary, it was, it was 60%. Now, again, I would just ask other rhetorical question, is that enough time spent on technology? And, and there's quite a discrepancy there. I, I, I don't really understand why there's that difference um, because, you know, is there a difference between the needs of of a primary child and a secondary child in terms of tech. I would argue not, because if you think about those primary children, surely we should be trying to get them ready for the secondary curriculum they're going to have maybe in four years' time. And so, therefore, you might actually reasonably expect that, that difference to be the opposite way around. Um, I think some of the areas of, of concern with primary is around expenditure. And access to tech, the right technical supports. Again, traditionally in technical support areas, um, secondary have been much better placed because they can afford their own technician, maybe. Whereas primaries in the past have had to rely on a consortium approach to getting a, a shared technician. And again, there's quite a difference here. The spending, just briefly at the end, the spending in terms of in terms of what we call network, non-computing devices, broad so these are the other things in primary the average spend is incredibly low and this is a concern because we looked at it and we looked at the, pro- the amount of money put on one side of primary on average it was actually less than it would cost to buy one interactive flat panel this report probably raises more questions than it gives answers and one of the questions is why is that Amount of funding so low in primary. The differences are marked. It almost seems as though in England, for example, you have got that that better advice and safety at secondary than you have at primary. And maybe again, we need to try and help
4: that situation with for primary leaders. I want to ask you, I know it wasn't in the report, at least I don't think it was. You correct me if I didn't see it. But um, I'm a bit obsessed about AI at the moment and and the impact that artificial intelligence can have. So if we're talking about technology schools, we have to talk about uh, AI. So I'd be interested to know, what impact do you think kind of the AI, let's call it the revolution, uh, is going to have for schools? And what implications are there for leaders currently thinking about this strategy that you've talked about, the need for the strategy when we've got AI... Well, as they're coming around the corner it's around the corner and it's here isn't it but i mean where should we even start when it comes to ai we could be uh, thinking all about the challenges
1: straight away couldn't we and it's, it's exciting there's opportunities There's the thing that education technology offers i think the really important thing with all of this is going back to some of the things that we're raising in the report that the importance of making our, our schools aware of that these things there is recently the report from the department for education their departmental statement on Generative Artificial Intelligence and Education in March 2023 around the time of BET. Um, and some of the things that are coming through with that is actually just to, to say, you know, what things to consider, what's out there, how creative could it be, could it be supported as across different subjects. And there are a number of things that it mentions in the report as well that uh, recommend for, for leaders out there to have a look at, around assessment, you know, to things around preventing malpractice and, and, you know, that Dave's here and, and, and does quite a lot of work around e-assessment. He may have some points to make around that, and particularly around things like minimising harm, um, where we're very strong, aren't we, on safeguarding and keeping children safe in education. So i actually thinking that there has the potential to be creating amazing new content. I, I listen on the radio today, we hear of ai uh the new band, okay? no, No Liam and Noel there. Uh, but actually if you listen to that that that's the sort of thing that's being created so have we got we got the we got students in music departments are going to do that but on the other side of it 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 can be really believable and so if there's content being produced we want the students out there to understand that if they are going to create content you know be aware not to be harmful creating harmful content not absorbing and, and accessing harmful content as well and the other things for schools as well, it's really around that, you know, general things around data protection as well, even the emails and all that, the scam, scamming piece. But there's also what are we doing within homework. So, you know, there's, it must be a challenge for school leaders at the moment to be thinking about AI and thinking, oh my Lord, you know, we're sending home homework tasks that are, you know, self-study um, pieces. And, uh, you know, I worried once upon a time in the primary classroom when a child will be in some photocopied pieces from a Dolan Kindersley book. Um, so what, where we're at now, I don't know. But actually, there, there's quite
4: a few things there. But colleagues may also have some, some points I mean, right here on there. So, David, what are your views when it comes to um, the impact of AI in schools? It represents... Um...
3: Opportunities, but I, I come back to my point about the school leaders actually taking ownership of this and not waiting for somebody else to do a report on it. Because it strikes me that there are two challenges. One is that this technology is going to be massively disruptive to the assessment system. I'm fortunate enough to be asked to be a judge for the uh, the assessment award. I've done that for, for the last six years. And the school sector really does need to take notice of how sophisticated the assessment systems are becoming in higher and further education, and also out in the, the world of work. So one of the last awards that we, that we gave was for the, um, uh, the Chartered Institute of Accountants for Ireland, who were doing live assessments using technology that had got remote proctoring, so, so they could see as people were being assessed, that it was them and what they were doing. So there are some challenges around assessments. But secondly, the massive challenge, surely, is around the curriculum. So I'll just slightly controversial here and ask the question then that AI will make us ask unless we run it. Should for a young person, let's a 10 year old in year six, should they now, given the constraints of time on the curriculum, be spending so much time handwriting short stories on paper, for example, or understanding how people can produce things online using AI and to differentiate between what's been made up or what is fact and what is fiction. I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but these are key questions that the profession needs to be asking. So rather than Try to shoehorn um, supporting children to navigate their way through this into an existing crowded curriculum. something got to give. And all I'm saying here is that reasoned and um, debate by experienced educationalists need to be had. Otherwise, like with the computing curriculum, it'll become hijacked by people who are in the kids industry or the computing industry who actually have no idea about what young people need in terms of their education, but they have a vested interest. So AI, to me, represents great, great opportunities, but it will be disruptive technology. And if, if we ban it and keep what we've got, that's one route. But we'll need to think about what the consequences of those decisions are. I'd rather him, I like all this tech all the way through my professional career, I've tried to embrace it and bring it into the classroom where an experienced professional can mediate on it and can help those children understand it and come to terms with it. To me, that seems like a responsible and professional approach rather than the, the, the sort of polar view of, oh, it's bad, it's good. It's definitely going to be
2: one of the most challenging things for the education profession. And and just to add to that as well, I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Teachers, teachers, and school leaders, they're the experts in learning. If anyone will find opportunities to harness the benefits of AI, it's the profession because they're the ones who will be creative. They're the ones who will be able to see the benefits whilst also weighing the potential negatives and and the challenges around that as well. Interestingly, with, in my day job, uh, I was in a school yesterday where the school were... Trialing, their, trialing the use of AI for the writing of their annual reports for parents. Now, you know, if you park the learning bit for a while, then surely the benefits that might be gained in workload terms could be a real interest as well. You know, the idea that AI will take your job away is is wrong. A graduate with AI skills might, though, and that's a subtle difference, I think. And it's just finding those opportunities, both from a teaching and learning perspective and the assessment challenges as well, but also some of those other things that perhaps we haven't really considered yet around workload, around banning perhaps, and assessment, reporting, those sorts of things. Perhaps there's a real opportunity there that, you know, we, we going back to a really early point,
4: perhaps we are, are just starting to scratch the surface of that. I can imagine people listening uh, right now suddenly thinking, "Hang on a minute! This could reduce the amount of time for the end of year reports." This is, there, is, there is something I need to explore on this. Uh, I, I imagine that, that ears will have pricked up around everybody listening to this. Dave, do you want to come in on that?
1: Yeah, I think it takes us back to all of the points we were making within this discussion as well around the you know asking the right questions and you know evaluating your provision. Being in the moment to understand what's going on, and actually with this, with this, um, the, the key questions, leadership questions within this report, the, the, they're focused on the on the research and the outcomes, but they're quite generic as well. And there's a there's a really good audit tool within it. I say that we've just been asked to um, by the by, by the UK's uh, part of the Business and Trade to present the uh, leadership briefing paper to the Chinese Ministry of Education Secondary school Principals Forum. Um, and actually, that says something about the the questions that are in here and the people that are interested in it. So at that that level, they're looking at this as 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 tools for leaders. You know, and that's what we're we're really proud of this collaborative partnership that we're doing. Is that something that you know even more of our schools in in this country could benefit from? And that's why we did it, and that's why we're here and and with you. And we would hope that that would be beneficial to to every school leader across the country and look forward to very much working with HD with going forward to, to, to assist and support this but uh, you know I hope that gives you a little bit of an insight it's not just in the UK people overseas are looking at what we're doing
0: and they're saying we want a bit of that too and you can see the report at besa.org.uk forward slash news besa.org.uk forward slash news and our thanks to Dave, Gavin and david and thank you as always for listening to the school leadership podcast all of our future episodes can easily be yours by subscribing on the app where you usually access the podcasts you like i'd also add that we're always keen to hear what you have to say about the podcast be that a review or rating or both if you're able to take a few minutes to do that that would be much appreciated NEHT is a professional association and union for school leaders. To discover more about the benefits of being an NEHT member, go online to neht.org.uk forward slash join. And on social media, you can follow our Twitter handle. It's at NEHT News. Until next time, take care. For regular and useful content on the teaching profession, it has to be the School Leadership Podcast leadership podcast the school leadership podcast the school leadership podcast